Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Nerd Shit. Nerd Shit. Nerd Shit. I'm Sam Wilson. Joining me, as always, Zach Schneider and Liz Tory. Today, we're going to be reviewing Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 1. Spoilers ahead for Harry Potter and Deathly Hallows Part 1. We're going to be finishing up that Harry Potter franchise in the next couple of weeks. But first, how are we doing today? Liz, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing good. Uh, worked on, uh, I can say it now, uh, I got to be a, a background artist on a background artist. <laughs> An extra on White Men Can't Jump. That's what they call us when you're on set. <laughs> background art. I'm just walking. <laughs> Listen, I've done the extra thing a lot. Like, I did it a lot. I don't really do it as much anymore, but I've done it a lot in the past. Like, I, I you know, kind of got my start in film in general as an extra. The whole background artist thing is bullshit. They're just trying to it like is. massage your ego by giving you like some yeah. kind. Of, you're you are an extra it, mm-hmm. as as yeah. as background. Like or just j- even just saying background. Like try, trying to throw in the word artist. Like you're like what with a you're yeah. you're walking. You're walking in the background. Yeah. What the exactly. hell? Exactly. And you you literally are human scenery. Like that's it. Like you're yeah. just you're not you're not even exactly. you're not even an actor really. You're just you're just a part of the production design of the scene. And just like again, I've done it a number of times, but you just gotta be like honest about it. that's that's all it is. Yeah, that's really, all it is. Why do you do it for the pay? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Those one day extra things I won't do. Yeah, it's not worth it. But uh, whenever you're looking at it and the pay is for eight hours, you know they're gonna stick you in and you're gonna have overtime. Exactly. Of the deal, so. Oh yeah, okay. the, the the rate over eight hours that's 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 the best because like you start getting overtime it after it. like I hate it when the rate is over twelve because then they're like because mm-hmm. you know they're gonna work you right up to like eleven hour yep. eleven hours and fifty one minutes and then they'll make you go home. It's like that's that's the way it always happens. Like no, don't don't do, do those. Over. No, Mm-mm. that's the, those that's nope. that's a terrible rate and and twelve hours shouldn't be considered like a normal work day anyway, but. No. And I probably wouldn't have taken this one if it wasn't White Men Can't Jump. I haven't been doing extra work really since, like, I haven't been doing it regularly since, like, maybe 2018. But uh, around, um, I guess this was, like, around late 2018, uh, I got an opportunity to be an extra in the reshoots for Avengers Endgame. And that I had to be in just because it was Endgame. And And it was fun being on that set, but... I mean, the thing that sucks is that if you're an extra in something and then you get seen on camera, now you can't be an actor in that thing. So yeah, that's the main reason I would do it anymore, and it's usually not worth the pay. But no, Zach, how you doing? Doing all right, doing all right. Uh, hanging out with uh, my mom. She's uh, going through some liver surgery, so just making sure she's okay. Uh, as of the recording, um, been hanging out with my brother for the last week or so. Apart from that, mostly okay. Yeah, yeah, and uh, how how you loving that uh, that that new MacBook, man? You you love it? <laughs> I, it's a perfectly fine machine, except that I dislike it intensely because I did not grow up. I didn't grow up using Macs. I'm not used to them, and there's stuff you can do on PCs that you can't do on Macs, and I'm quite certain there's stuff you can do on Macs that you can't do on PCs either. But for me personally, it's it's not worth the trade-off, and it is just frustrating trying to do simple stuff sometimes. And, again, nothing wrong with the machine. Just 
my relationship with it is all probably always going to be fractious. I've found that I can do something on Macs that I can't do on PC. And mm-hmm. that's used the goddamn thing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's exactly how I feel, Liz. <laughs> Sam, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Been a macker for life. I can, I can skate by on PC if I absolutely have to. <laughs> but the only thing, whenever I use a PC, the only thing I do is just click on Steam and then select whatever game I'm going to play. Because that's all I, all I fucking do on PC. Go right to Steam. Yes. There we go. Yes. As long as I can get there, I'm good. Uh, but anything else, like yeah, no, I feel the exact opposite. I cannot. I cannot do the PC. It's like it's just. It's the most like weird, ugly. Like just ah, uh, no. I hate it. I hate the interface. But anyway, yeah. So so one of our listeners is go, going like Linux. <laughs> Linux for the win. <laughs> <laughs> Go to Linux, everybody. Alienware? Uh, I think those are usually still like a Windows operating system on those. I think yeah, so. I think so. That's just that's just like a manufacturer of of laptops. But anyway, they look sexy, but they they advertise themselves as being like gaming machines. Although I think like most like serious PC gamers will still just make their own, t- build their own towers yeah. uh, rather than just buy an Alienware thing. But yeah. Uh, the gamers I know do that. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, as far as gaming goes, I'm I'm still PS5 guy anyway. It's like that way. Because, like, I, I would have to know. It's like, do, can my machine run it? Is it a PS5 game on a PS5? I know it's going to run it. I want to check, like, the mm-hmm. graphics card and shit. You know, make sure it's up to date. <laughs> I'm such a big gamer. I used to spend $70 a year, you know, to fish in World of Warcraft. So. <laughs> Just 70, huh? Oh, yeah. Just to fish. Just to fish, exactly. <laughs> oh, I'm going to catch the big one. Oh. All right. Well, speaking of fishing, uh, the main trio of Harry Potter is fishing for some horcruxes. I think Harry fished Ooh. for the Sword of Gryffindor at one point. Uh, that's that, that kind of ice fishing. So let's think, get into it. Let's get fishing it. for a connection there. Yeah, fishing for a connection. <laughs> that's right. Uh, yeah, okay, yeah, whatever. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm trying to get us into the movie. All right. <laughs> Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, part one. Spoiler start here for Harry Potter in the Deathly Hours Part 1 the beginning of the movie uh, the Dursleys are going out of town there were some cathartic moments from the book that they cut do we think that they should have cut those moments you know overall this movie has a this movie has a horror feel, feel to it and I feel like we have spent this time with the Dursleys we have learned to hate them and I think it's time uh, I I would have liked to have had those moments. I would have liked the little bit of moments with Dudley. Vernon and yeah. Petunia can go suck an egg. You know, they, they can go to hell. It would have been nice to see that Dudley had finally decided to break the cycle. That after his experiences with Harry and what he's gone through, he's finally decided to change a bit as a person. Not quite end up like them. That would have been nice to see. Yeah. Essential for the film? No, but... I really would have I really would have liked that. I agree with that. I remember really missing this the first time I saw this movie, but as I've rewatched it, I still kind of miss it, but I also understand why it's not in. Like we we have yeah. to we have to get on with the movie, you know, yeah. after a certain point, you know, and I, I think that the pacing of this movie is overall very good. 
this is one of those like like I know that there was a deleted scene that I haven't actually watched, but I've seen like memes from it of like Harry talking to Petunia and Petunia being like, "Oh, you didn't just lose a mom that night. I lost a sister." It's like. Well, okay, it would have been nice for you to, like, come to this sense of catharsis, like, during any of the years that you, 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 Harry yeah. was just being abused. It's like, oh, I guess they really are people after all. But, okay, like, too little too late, guys. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Like, I agree. <laughs> I don't know if they thought that that would, have, that would have redeemed Petunia or not, but I don't think so. No. I think that she was just an ass. I think maybe they just wanted to give Fiona Shaw something to do as to flex as an actress. Oh, see, I, I kind of think it's like, because yeah. they, they kind of like, yeah. they, 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 maybe they feel like they kind of wasted her talents because she's so good. And maybe they, they feel like they kind of wasted her talents over the course of the season. It's like, let's give her a juicy scene. And then they saw the end. It's like, nah, we'll cut this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what about, what about Hermione erasing her parents' memory? I feel that without the reveal that she actually gave the back later on, this actually is, like, really dark in the movie, but, you know. <laughs> it's dark anyways, but. It is dark anyways, but like, we, we never really, we never find out in the movie version that, that she actually reversed that, I don't think, but we, we do find that out in the book. Yeah, her coming from, her coming from this, from this loving family. Um, and then you see the pictures and you know that she didn't have a dysfunctional family. Her coming from that background and then knowing that she's just had to completely erase her parents. That it's heartbreaking. It's starting out with the tears. Yeah. And of course, it's also this question of like, did the, the parents look at the framed photos? It's like, why did we take the picture of just like a backdrop here? Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I'm <about> this one. <laughs> it's a pretty emotionally affecting scene. Um, it is also especially comes back later on when, you know, after they're fighting some Death Eaters and she's asked to obliviate one again. It's like, okay, that's really going to be a pressure point for her. I think Emma Watson gives her best performance in this movie. That whole kind of plotline is a big part of it. You know, you see kind of the torment in her, like when she has to do it to her parents, and then when she has to cast the spell again, you can tell that her mind just goes straight to that. It's like, it's so effectively done. And, and, and it's it's so smart to just like, to start with her looking at this uh, Daily Prophet headline of a muggle family that just got murdered, and that that kind of leads her to make this, this yeah. decision. That it, it's it's one of those things like oh I have to do it to protect you guys like it that's so often used as an excuse in so much, many movies and TV shows but like it makes sense in this like it I, I think that I, the decision is heartbreaking but it does actually make sense that it does that she she does genuinely feel that this is the way to to protect her parents so it it, it is heartbreaking uh, I I do have the little bit of comfort in myself of just you know knowing that she did eventually get reverse that but it still is uh yeah is is definitely a very affecting uh, uh sequence for sure. And then, uh, of course, uh, another, like, really haunting scene, it kind of goes to, I think, how the horror that you're talking about, Liz, is the scene where Voldemort and the Death Eaters are around the table, and just the whole time yes. that Muggle Studies teacher is just suspended over the, the table, just being tortured, and, they, and the, they're not even f- acknowledging her the whole time. And her pleading with Snape, you know, saying, like, you know, you and I are friends, and, like, Snape, like, has that... He like he, he's he's being torn up, but he has to keep he has to to stay in that 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 double agent mindset at the same time. Any thoughts on this sequence? This is a really tense scene. I feel I will always say that it should have been Severus that killed her. 
because it's more of a mercy thing. I understand why they why why it was Voldemort, but he knew that she was going to die. He knew that she was going to be eaten by Nagini. And I I always say that it should have been Severus because for one that kind of people watching this that has never read the book that's going to point them more to the direction of Snape is bad, Snape is horrible, and in the end you kind of understand that it's a mercy kill. It's not like I'm saying the scene is shit. The scene is amazing. Yeah, I get that. I also feel that in some ways just the performance by Alan Rickman. He's, he's really just a master of expression. There's so much going on behind oh, yeah. his eyes. Um, that expression he has after she dies is so complex. It's that mix of wishing that he could have done more and also kind of relief that she's dead and also yeah. horror at what Voldemort is doing all while keeping it inside. Well, probably being glad that Voldemort at least killed her before setting Nagini on her. Yeah. That that he didn't have the snake eat her alive. That would have been a yeah, lot more horrifying. that would have been horrible. I love that whenever Voldemort is around Snape, you can see that he's not super confident because he can't read Snape's mind. He can read anybody's mind except for Snape's. You know, there there's one there's one line. It's such a small thing, but there's one line in this scene that always makes me me chuckle. Where Pius, like, they ask, "Hey, what do you think, Pius?" And Pius gives this complete non answer of just like, "Well, there are a lot of things that different people hear. It's like it's hard to tell which one's true." And Voldemort was like, "Smoking like a true politician." Was like, you mean the <laughs> fact that he literally just said nothing? Like, <laughs> exactly. It's like, yeah. There's there's a lot of things a lot of people are saying. Maybe it's true. Maybe it's not. I can see why this guy was picked to be the Ministry Puppet. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yep. But yeah, really, really incredible scene. And I actually see your point, Liz. I think that it, it would have made sense for, for Snape to do that mercy killing. But at the same time, I think that there is also a point to be made that being Death Eaters around that table, maybe Voldemort would have felt that somebody else killing her would have been, like, presumptuous. Like, what What are you yes. doing, bitch? Like, you know. Mm-hmm. Yes. Know yeah. your place. Yeah, know your place. So I, I think that, that that's also a reason why it doesn't bother me a lot. But at the same time, I, I, I actually do see where you're coming from, Liz. And I think that that would have been interesting because it, it, it would have been a mercy killing at, at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, that maybe in, in your version of it, maybe Voldemort would have actually had Nagini eat her alive and maybe that, that Snape kind of releasing her from that fate type of thing. Yeah. Um, that's something that I would have thought about. Yeah. If I were in Snape's position, exactly. I'd have been like, uh. It's like how, like how much more is, is Voldemort going to make this last, you know? Yes. So then we got the uh, the the seven Potter sequence, uh, a, a, a bunch of Harry's uh, friends and associates uh, all all turning into t- taking Polyjuice potion, turning into him, uh, and then the, uh, the 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 kind of uh, mo- flying motorcycle chase sequence. Uh, there's it, it, it's such an interesting sequence because like it starts off with kind of a note of humor of seeing everybody kind of turn into Harry, and then it, and then it becomes this really intense action sequence. And then Hedwig dies, Mad-Eye Moody dies off screen, and George loses an ear. So, any thoughts on just this whole thing, this whole action scene? Mad-Eye Moody is my spirit animal. A grumpy old bastard to the end. (laughs) Tonks is trying to tell them that she's pregnant, and he's like, we ain't got time for this. Let's do this. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Enough of that bullshit. (laughs) 
Brendan Gleeson is just fucking amazing, and I'm sad that this is the last time we get to see him as Mad Eye. Side note: you, did, did you realize that this scene is a father son affair with uh, Brendan Gleeson and Domhnall Gleeson are both in this scene? Yes. Yeah. 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 And of course, they they give they give Domhnall Gleeson the line, "Oh, Mad Eye's dead. My my dad's dead. Oh wait, no, uh, Arthur, you're my dad. Wait, what? No." <laughs> <laughs> Bill, way more affected by this for reasons. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's a good scene. I also love uh, Daniel Radcliffe getting a little chance to flex. It's like, okay, you've been looking at these at these other actors and their characters all these years. Now you get a chance to really embody them for a sec. <laughs> and he does so well. He really uh, does. The best line. The best line is, "Don't look at my body. I'm hideous." <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> It's like, oh yeah, what am I supposed to feel about that, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Blur to the end. <laughs> I love that they use the polyjuice, and I love that they quickly explain it that it can't be it can't be picked up on. So mm. I I think it's a pretty genius use of what she did in the in the beginning. You know, they mm-hmm. experimented with polyjuice potion, and now it's a real it's a real means to an end. All right, I got a bone to pick. Mundungus Fletcher, where the hell did this guy come from? And why does anybody trust him? The second that guy opens his mouth, I'm like, I don't trust this guy. What? Why like- is he on the team? <laughs> like, that is that is a really vote of terrible confidence. It's like, okay, you have a team of, like, seven people for a secret mission, and you literally could not find anybody else to round out this team whatsoever. That is a really bad sign for your recruiting call. Yeah. It's like literally anyone, anyone at all. <laughs> I honestly I honestly think it's a plot hole for uh for Mad-Eye. Mad-Eye wouldn't make a mistake like that. Mad-Eye wouldn't have trusted him. Yeah. Um but I also I also think that Mad-Eye knows that this is his last. He knows that they're going to come straight for him. That's why he doesn't put Harry with him because yeah. it makes sense to put Harry with the most powerful wizard. They mm-hmm. wouldn't think that they would put him with Hagrid. Yeah, in the book, they actually make that you know pretty explicit. It's like, he's not with the seemingly most powerful members, and he's not on a broom where they yeah. really expect him. No, it, it was a smart plan, and, and it was... It was successful in the fact that they did get Harry there. There were, there were some yeah. casualties, um, but they did get Harry there. I mean, it's one of those things, like, I, I sometimes I get a little butthurt that Moody just gets this casual off-screen death, but at the same time, I understand yeah. why it is that way. It's like... These last two movies, like it's 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 a war. They're war movies. Like it's a war story, and it, it's like people in war, people just die just unceremoniously. Yeah. yeah, it's meant to be disarming and confusing. That's that's the entire point. Is when you have a battle, it doesn't wrap up neatly. You don't find out everything all at the same time. The battle ends. You regroup, and then you figure out what the hell actually happened. I would like to say that I give props. To she who must not be named, <laughs> I give props to to her that she that J.K. Rowling is able to just bam, 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 kill off these characters that she's written for seven books. I mean, it says something. Yeah, and I I I, you know, I was fairly upset by it the first time I, I read Harry Potter and the Deadly Hallows. Yeah. Like I love the book, but I, I yes. like, even the first time. But I, I remember being really upset by it. But the more I've reflected on it, and as I watch the movie adaptations of it, like I understand kind of why it is that way. It's like this is war. People just yeah. people die. 
Um, and if, if we're gonna, like, really treat this as a war story, like, characters have to get killed off, and they have to get killed off kind of unceremoniously. Um, yep. and I think, and people get, people get injured, you know, people get these lifelong injuries. I think George losing an ear, I think, is, is, is a part of that, too. Hedwig's death always catches me off guard. I always weirdly forget that Hedwig dies. I always weirdly yeah. forget that Hedwig dies because it's so sudden, and it's so mm-hmm. just, like, She takes yeah. the hit for Harry. Uh-huh. Yeah. She takes it for Harry, and it's just... Oh my god. It's it, frankly a better death jarring. in the book. Because in the book, you, yeah, she was just in a cage the whole time, which is heartbreaking. So this gives her, you know, as much as she's just kind of an owl, gives her a little more agency, a little last bit of freedom before her death. And also is a, it's a more logical um, way of them figuring out who Harry is than the way the book is like, oh yeah, he used Expelliarmus. That's clearly the right one, which... It's kind of a hilarious in-joke about how often he uses that goddamn spell, but it does make more Only sense Only Harry you would wanna... use Expelliarmus. <laughs> yeah. It's true. That's his go-to. <laughs> no, you're right. I had actually forgotten that that was how he was revealed in the book. I agree that him, yeah. being, him being given away by Hedwig makes a lot more sense. It actually does make a it lot does. more sense. But that scene where where Hedwig takes the shot, knowingly takes the shot for Harry, it's it just adds more to her being his companion and being a loyal companion. I I think it's a better death than a caged bird. Yeah, I hate yeah. caged birds. That's right. We're gonna we're gonna point out the times where the movie's better than the book. It does happen. <laughs> it does happen occasionally. It does. Again, this is one yeah. of those situations. Hey, yeah. Bill Nye is in this movie. The movie actually, like, really jarringly starts with an extreme close-up of his eyes, which always <laughs> could, always catches me whenever I watch it. They're like, ah! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's not in this movie a whole lot, but, like, there's a scene where he's uh, bequeathing uh, Dumbledore's, like, uh, will onto Harry, Ron, and Hermione. Um, I always enjoy Bill Nye. He almost, like, Bill Nye has this ability to almost way overact to be super hammy but somehow still be believable within that and i feel i feel Mm -hmm. that he does that in this movie i just i just love how it's like okay your character is going to be in this movie for maybe five minutes Uh, he dies off super quick off screen you don't have to go that hard. It's like, no, I'm, go- I'm going to. I'm yes. Just going He's to no nice. He always does. Like- <laughs> <laughs> you know, when I read this book, it's so funny. When I read the book, I I imagined uh, Skim, Skim Grier, however you say his name, as Bill Nighy when I was reading it. So it was weird whenever he popped up on screen. I was like, oh, this is fucking awesome. It's always great when your fad cast comes true. I will say it that. It is. It is. I don't bitch when it doesn't because I'm not the casting director. But yeah. when it does happen, I'm like, yes. But I I have to say that my favorite Bill Nye character is the rocker from Love Actually. Yeah. I fucking love him in that movie. <laughs> He's so good. But he has the power to just take over a scene. Now, mm-hmm. we love these actors. These These young actors are powerful actors. But when he enters the scene, he just owns that shit mm-hmm. i i think they wasted him i think i would have rewrote it and been like sorry jk <laughs> Squimgar wins the wins against Voldemort. Yeah, he, just, he just shows up out of nowhere the battle of hogwarts just blows Voldemort away to, oh <laughs> yes i'm the chosen one now bitch <laughs> the tales of my demise were greatly exaggerated <laughs> Cornelius Fudge was a good minister, but 
but I love Bill Nighy in I'm, that I'm role. I'm sorry, did mm-hmm. you just say Cornelius Fudge was a good minister? He was a good well, minister. Was was, okay, he was a funny minister. Let me say oh, yeah, that. He was a funny minister. <laughs> he was, he was an entertaining character. Yeah, he was not a yes. good minister within no, universe. Not at no. all. <laughs> he fucking sucked. Objectively he terrible at his sucked. job. He's like one of those politicians that you just roll your eyes at when you see on TV every yeah. day. You're like, oh god, it's Fudge again. He's <laughs> like, whenever he gets to the end of that fifth movie and he sees Voldemort, he's just like, he's back. It's like, no fucking shit, what have I been telling you this entire Duh. fucking movie? <laughs> <laughs> He's back. You already knew this. Why is this a surprise to you? <laughs> but I, I do love Cornelius Fudge, and I would have liked to have seen more of of uh, Scrimguire in this movie. I know there wasn't a lot of written even in the book, but I just would have loved to have seen a little more of that warrior look. I would have liked it just because of how much I like Bill Nye as an actor, but at the same time, I, I think that he's in the movie narratively as much as he actually needs to be for to, to move yeah. the story forward. Pretty much, yeah. I would have traded five minutes of that dragon scene in Goblet of Fire for more Bill Nye. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't think that we can like steal runtime from other movies, though. I, I don't think it works that way. Like, <laughs> like within the same movie, sure. It's like why don't you steal five minutes from like the five movies ago? And then <laughs> I, did, I just had to give a throwback to my dragon rant. <laughs> I, I wish that the dragon scene had been like an hour long. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, not really, but. <laughs> Uh, and then, of course, uh, Bill and Floor get married in this. Uh, it's like, apparently they were a couple. Just, it, all right, cool. You know, that's like yeah. one of those things. It's like, all right, we've, this is literally the first movie we met Bill and Floor was a little bit of a non-entity in Goblet of Fire. I guess they're married yeah. now. Okay. Cool. I do find it kind of hilarious how, uh, Bill's entire scene where he got scratched by Fenrir and he's, you know... Maybe a little bit werewolf now. Like, all of that's just explained in, like, five seconds in the scene where you meet him. It's like, this is Bill, and uh, I guess we've already met him in the books by now, but now we've got to explain his whole deal. All right. Yeah. yeah. They did it well, in my opinion. They they, they, they quickly got us up they to speed. They did as well as they could yeah. have. Yeah. They did. I agree. Yeah, wedding scene's okay. Yeah, I really like the chaos of the escape from that. I do, too. Um, just the, you know, sheer horror of Kingsley's message. Um, mm mm-hmm. Sheer panic of getting out. Yeah, it feels exactly like, you know, how any raid in a war would be. And it's also one thing that is just continuous throughout this film, which is very intentional, is just every single little bit of safe house or safe space for these characters is just continuously knocked down. You know, Hedwig is the death of, you know, that childhood innocence and connection. They can't live in the burrow anymore. You know, Mad Eye Moody, their great protector, dies immediately, and it's yeah, it's done really well in this scene. I love how honest they are with the scene. Let's be honest about human beings' reactions to war. Whenever, whenever everything is lawless and it's and it's free for all, and there's a chance that you can really die, people tend to step back. You know, because it's a scary thought that I could die. And I like that they're that they're honest with that. And I think that Doge running off going, nice to meet you, Potter. <laughs> I think that it's such a good I think it's such a good metaphor for how people act. Oh, there's a war coming. Oh, see you later. <laughs> <laughs> 
Can you blame that guy though? It's like nah, not I'm at out. all. Yeah. That's the whole point. Not at all. I'd have done the same thing. Exactly. Oh, I hate these coming after you. Bye, pop. <laughs> Damn. Good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, that seems scary. All right, goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, going back just slightly to, to like the way preparations, I, I just want to touch on because like I know that we all gave shit to the Harry Ginny romance, and I'm not like uh, taking back on, on any of that. <laughs> I will say I do enjoy the scene where Harry and Ginny are making out, and then Fred, or sorry, George just shows up and is just like giving the shitty grin, like, morning. I just think it's so, I just think it's so, it's, it's, it's the George's moment, it makes it, makes that scene worth it for me, but. I love George's reaction, it does make the scene, but I would like to say that from that scene and the two minutes where uh, Luna Lovegood sees Harry in the party and he's like, and she's like, Harry doesn't want to talk to us right now, he's just too nice to, it shows that she still connects with Harry more than Ginny. Yeah, you're, you're kind of preaching just to the choir here. Um, yeah. <laughs> the Ginny romance, there's no point in this series. Like, we can talk about the last movie later, but this movie it's is just gross. a short moment. There's literally no point in the series where it makes sense in the books or the movies. It's incredibly forced and a little yeah. bit, it's, yeah, it's a little messed up too because there's, there's an imbalance there. Yeah, their race is like siblings. I'm I'm never on board with that romance, and I'm not certain if I wanted Harry to end up with Luna, if only because I'm, you know, I'm not always certain about, you know, romance plots being in there, but if he had to have a romance plot line, that one would have made more sense. Yeah. I, I like the Harry and Luna a lot better, honestly. Yeah. yeah. But George's reaction <laughs> with the that wink and everything, <laughs> he's so fucking cute. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> It's like that's the only reason I want to mention that scene because I agree that the yeah. romance is very forced, but just that moment just just justifies that scene for me. It's like it does, yeah. <laughs> I honestly don't know though. Here's my thing. Uh, now I'm grossed out by the Ginny thing because I read the books. There's a lot more in the books to where they're more like siblings, but I don't know if it's the actors being awkward with each other because they they may not have the experience to have that kind of chemistry. Teenagers are usually awkward with each other and I don't know if it's awkward because they felt a little a little weird about kissing each other on on camera like that. And and that could have done it for me. I always get this gross feeling in my stomach, but I I also think that it's that it's due to um lack of experience on the actors parts not just the writing. But I, I also think that, that the character Luna uh, fit Harry better just because not only have they had a lot of the same experiences, but Luna compliments Harry in such a way that's just gorgeous. That's how I feel. I mean, as far as the awkwardness goes, there's a way to use that awkwardness as an actor to actually, like... Li- li- mm-hmm. I think Ron and Hermione in these movies is the example of that, that yes. there is an awkwardness yes. there, but it's an awkwardness that, that works. It's 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 a, ke- a chemistry thing where they, they yes. have yeah. that. They have, they're, they're awkward with each other because they're these best friends who are actually attracted to each other at the same time. Like, yeah. it, I think that that works, like... 
the whole siblings thing never bothered me as much with Harry and Ginny. I just think that the characters don't really have uh ca- the reason it doesn't bother me is because like they they like they didn't know each other for like the first eleven plus years, like eleven years of their life, and like it, it, I don't know, like they, they were they weren't literally raised together. Like Harry d- did, kind of get adopted in that family in a way, but oftentimes that that can happen with s- significant others of family members too. That they kind of become yeah. a part of the family, so that never really bothered me with 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 the Ginny thing. I just think that they don't really have chemistry in in the movies or in some ways in the books even, and I, I just I do think that is a bit forced. But what about this whole sequence where uh, the main trio? Uh, they they take Polyjuice Potion and they they portray these members of the Ministry of Magic. I think it's one of the more fun sequences in the movie because yes. this is a very dark and very serious movie. I think that this sequence, despite being still very tense because they are kind of doing this espionage, does lead to some of the more fun and I think kind of light moments in the movie. And I, I really always appreciate this sequence every time I watch yes. the film. Oh, no, I was going to say, I think the adult actors do like a fantastic job of matching the characters. Um, first of all, I also deeply love, I forgot the actor's name, but um, the body of Albert Runcorn. Um, you know, uh, Harry is the body of Albert Runcorn. Um, there's this moment when he's walking around and it feels so much like, you know, two uh, 10-year-olds in a trench yes. coat. Just the way he's holding himself, the way he's walking. It's like... Oh, yep. yeah, this is a man who is much used to being a lot shorter than this. <laughs> he walks so awkwardly, and I think it just makes yes. it so, like, like he's, he's just not used to being in that body, you know? It's like... <laughs> it, it it adds to the reality of that spell. It adds to that reality, and it's so gorgeously done. I think that they really chose adults that fit them physically, but the layout of the scene is so gorgeous. And I, I would just like to say that Ron getting sucked in and going, my wife's, my wife's <laughs> going to be in court. And Ron, you don't have a wife. Oh, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, this will be something to tell the kids. <laughs> all three, all three of these actors do That's... a good job. But like the guy who plays uh, the character Reg as Ron, like he is yes. fucking perfect as Ron. He is. Like, like there's yes. like, there's no barrier, even though he obviously isn't Ron. Like, like there's no barrier that when I look at him, I see Ron. Ron, just just completely like I completely just see Ron (laughs) completely agree the kids line he's just so in the character and it feels like absent-minded Ron yes exactly it's so good (laughs) that that tearful goodbye with Mary it's like oh look Mary you've got to get back to the house I'll join you in a second it's like what hey what God, every every time I watch this movie, it's like, it's such a funny moment, but I always have this thought, it's like, God, I I hope things worked out for Reg and Mary. I hope things worked out for those two. Like, who's he? (laughs) (laughs) I love that she kisses him and they blink away. And then when they blink back, it's Ron. And then, and she's like, yeah, but yeah, I, I, they make you, they make you feel for those characters. You're absolutely right. I have the same feeling. Oh, I hope they were able to get over that kiss, and I hope that everything yeah. worked out. Yeah, and I hope that they weren't caught by the well, death like, I later. hope they got away. Like well, the, the thing that yes. always kind of gives me hope is that, that, like, once Harry Potter is revealed, that ev- all the the Death Eaters are still concentrating on catching Harry, that they probably they just completely forget, and that, yes. that maybe maybe Reg and Mary are able to just use that chaos to just slip away. All right, you know, yeah. and then they yeah. they they do end up uh, maybe do, get, grabbing the kids like. 
don't know. Like, maybe, maybe they don't even have kids. Like, I always want Mary to be like, Rich, you don't have kids. You know, I don't know. What, <laughs> <laughs> what kids? <laughs> but, but no, if they, do, if they do have a family, that they do get 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 their family and, like, get out of the country or whatever. It's like, I, I probably yeah. put way too much, like, thought into, into these side characters, but, you know. <laughs> it means that they did a good job at writing these side characters. Yeah. When you yeah. feel for these side characters, it it means that they did a really good job. Perfect actors for those roles. Yeah, completely. Mm. And of course, the the, the kind of and, and just getting uh, Umbridge back, you know, in this sequence too. It's oh like we God. all we all kind of hoped that when she got carried off by those centaurs, that they were gonna stick an arrow in her. But no, apparently uh, she she did make yep. it out somehow. So <laughs> she just saw the sliding of the ministry into full on fascism and went, "Oh, that's delightful." <laughs> every time, every time. Harry hits her with that stupefy every mm-hmm. time. I'm just like, yes, yeah. I cannot help. It's better than watching her get carried off by the by the mm-hmm. centaurs because it's that redemption. It's that vengeance. I just mm-hmm. love it. <laughs> exactly. Well, so as there, there's a lot of stuff in this movie about the trio kind of just going through these different places, these different areas of wilderness, you know, listening to the radio and then kind of carrying that locket around after they get the locket and the locket is kind of uh, making their mood worse. And of course, Ron ends up, uh, you know, in a fit of rage, uh, uh, kind of leaving the group. Uh, any thoughts on kind of kind of the whole like Ron, you know, the, the conflict between the, the, the trio and everything? Like any thoughts on this part of the movie? I love these parts of the movie because it doubles down on that horror feel. When you hear those names, you know, those are names of people that have been killed. It's a scary situation to where you just hear it over everything. And, you know, that's just dampening the mood and and it's really keeping them down when i was watching it uh, me and kate were talking about how scary it would be just to sit down to listen to the names of the people who have died every day it's scary it makes you think of 1984 or something like that it really does it brings in that psychosomatic horror um and then seeing these teenagers who basically teenagers right out of high school and they're having to deal with that. And on top of that, they have this Horcrux that is changing their mood and making making the darkness of themselves come out. I think it adds to the horror. It adds to the absolute astonishing horror of the situation that they're in. It makes it realistic. This is, in some ways, both my least favorite, just because it does go on a bit, and also my favorite in terms of completely nailing the horrors of war aesthetic Mm -hmm. because this is war young people who had hopes and dreams and lives and are stuck with nowhere to go Uh, nothing but a vague goal no end in sight not even the next step really in sight passing through just the devastation of what used to be their home. That scene with the trailer park that was clearly, you know, torched and destroyed by Death Eaters is super devastating. And their reactions, yeah, the magic amulet is an explanation for it, but those are the reactions of anyone going through war, of someone who had a life, a home, a family, and they have no idea whether or not all of that is going to be destroyed. And even if yeah. it's not destroyed, they may not see it again. This is 
one of the best scenes in the movie, and it's also one of the hardest to go through. Yeah. Um, because it's so acutely and so barefacedly um, shows that horror of living through a war, um, living in wartime. J.K. Rowling used the uh, used World War II as an inspiration for these scenes, and the movie really imprints that 1940s uh, Nazi terror, except their victims didn't get a name, they got numbers. It's horrifying. Yeah, I agree. I think it's an extremely well done and affecting part of the movie, but it's also just the filmmaking of it, you know, the cinematography and like, like it, mm, yeah. through all these horrible things that are going on, just these gorgeous landscapes. Like, I, I, mm. I actually get really kind of caught up on in this part of the movie. Like, it is, this is honestly one of my favorite things about the movie, just because of like, like I, I, I just get swept up in the filmmaking and the music and and ju- just the mood that it creates, yeah. I think it's just incredibly well done. And then I had mentioned that I felt that Emma Watson's performance is best in this movie. I also think that Rupert Grant gives his best performance as Ron in this yes. movie too. I think he is so fucking good in this movie. This is the best movie for Ron. It really yeah, is. Yeah. Like people, um, I know a lot of book fans tend to complain about movie Ron that they they that they kind of uh, you know kind of neutered him. Like he's not like they feel that they made him too much of a, a jokey character. Like I think that he's great in this like i think even if you feel mm-hmm. that way i think that this movie kind of re- redeems him and I, I love ron in all the movies yeah i think his performance in this movie is a payoff for yeah. everything he's done i love jokey ron because he's the one that brightened our day he's the one that brought light into our heart and to see him broken like this oh oh rupert grant really shines in this movie because we do see the darkness yeah and we've only seen the light with ron and then, of course, after Ron leaves, uh, Harry and Hermione end up uh, going to Godric's Hollow, which, Liz, you were mentioning the horror elements. This is probably this the scary. This this is a straight up horror sequence. Is when yeah. they go into Bathedal Backshot's house. We find out that she's dead, and that she's this the snake is wearing her skin or something. Like it's a really freaky sequence, and and just yeah. I gotta say, thinking of something underneath the skin of walking around in the skin of an old lady that's just oh my god it's scary as fuck body snatchers to the t she doesn't speak and every time i watch this movie every time i i watch this movie it always dawns on me i remember the first time i watched it and i was like why isn't she speaking why are they guessing what she says and then later on she speaks to harry when hermione isn't around And I thought that was odd. And you find out that she's speaking parcel tongue. That's why she doesn't speak in front of Harry. That shows you the scary intelligence of Nagini, that she's not just a snake, that it's more to it. Now, later on, we find out that she used to be a wizard, a witch. But in this sequence, it's it's scary. And and it's like, oh, my God, that's so fucking genius. Yeah, it's a deeply, deeply unsettling scene. I think in the book, the one thing I'll say about the book, and it would have been hard to do in the movie. It would have been difficult to portray in the movie. The payoff on that is delayed just a little bit longer um, because in the book, when Nagini speaks, it's just what Harry is hearing um, English. 
And so he doesn't realize, but in the movie, you realize a little bit sooner. It's like, hang on, that's not English mm-hmm. that they're talking. Why are they talking like that? So you start to figure it out sooner. Um, still horrifying as hell. Just the entire way it was shot, um, everything to do with the makeup work on Bathilda, and especially the moment when Nagini starts to come out of the skin is... Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I recently watched the uh, BBC Dracula show, and there's a very similar thing. Dracula in that show, instead of shape-shifting, takes the skin of things and, in a particularly horrifying sequence, people... Yeah, this is, I think, about as close as you get to a PG-13 version of that, but still keeping all of the horror of that, just knowing that there's a thing behind the eyes. Mm -hmm. I'm a Hitchcockian horror um, uh, theorist, and not seeing the gore makes it scarier than seeing the body. In a lot of ways, it is. Yeah, I completely yeah. agree, Liz. I've actually always felt that way too. I think that what I think imagining is always going to be worse than seeing. Yes, and mm-hmm. I, I, I think that it does make the scene like j- all you see is just a, like a just a little bit of blood splatter on the wall, yep. and you don't see anything else. And I think that's so much more affecting. And the flies and the smell. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's like yeah. you know there's something horrible there, but and you yeah. don't have to see it. It's it's worse that mm-hmm. you don't see it. I think. Yeah. I think it's scary. Much scarier. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. The color scheme of this scene, too. The color scheme of the whole movie is gorgeous and it puts us in that dark place. But the color scheme of this scene, the the darker, the brown tones, even the reds are are deadened to where they're more of a a brown. And it's just horrifying. There's also a a very brief moment in the scene that. Seems odd, but becomes even more jarring and slightly terrifying the moment you go back on it, where Harry and Nagini are fighting, and for a moment she throws him through a wall into another room. Um, and that room is brightly lit. And when you go back and rewatch the scene, you realize it's a nursery. And it's still in the same house, and that leaves you wondering, what happened to the baby? Why is this here? Again, nothing told, just imagination um, given. And also, it's a clever reflection of this is where Harry is born. Um, last time he had something horrible was in a nursery much like that. That, that was more my takeaway from that was, was the kind of parallels to the room where, you know, yeah. his mother was killed and he w- almost was killed as, as, a, as a baby. And, and really, I mean, the, before the horror part of the sequence, you know, ju- just the, the kind of uh, emotional moments of them seeing the, the destroyed house that, that Harry lived in as a as a baby and go, going to the, the grave of his parents like i did mm-hmm. kind of wonder it's like right in 17 years they didn't either demolish or re- repair that house but all right <laughs> yeah. um one of my thoughts was uh and i just had it this time watching is that one of dumbledore's homes was he hiding them out in their home because they wouldn't have been in their own home hiding away from voldemort because Dumbledore told Snape that he was going to hide them, and Dumbledore failed at hiding them. So I wonder if that house was one of Dumbledore's homes, because he was from that area. It was an Airbnb that Dumbledore owned and rent rents out occasionally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is really going to cut into my revenue stream, Harry, you know, James and Leopard. <laughs> 
but yeah, the the house not being torn down, it it just dawned on me this time. And then uh, me thinking about it being Dumbledore's, that would make sense because he would want it to stay erect. I don't know. That's uh, possible. Dumbledore was an odd character. Yeah, it's, it's certainly a possibility. So then after this sequence, uh, Harry, of course, follows the, the Doe Patronus, which we find out later what that is, but he follows the Doe Patronus to... The sort of Gryffindor, which they've been seeking the whole movie, is underneath the frozen lake. And, of course, Harry stupidly decides to dive down without taking the locket off first. <laughs> of course, the locket's gonna be like, nope! <laughs> but, yeah. then, but then Ron has to come and save his ass, so. <laughs> well, the, the locket does the same thing that Harry did at the beginning of the movie. You see, Voldemort is thinking that he's just going to swoop in and kill Harry. And Voldemort has no idea, not even in the end, that Harry is a Horcrux, and that should have given Voldemort the take that Harry is a Horcrux. Because Harry's out of it. He can't defend himself, but he automatically is able to throw his wand back and fight the power that that Voldemort does. And if you don't know that Harry is a Horcrux... The Horcrux fighting Harry, strangling him to keep him away from uh, the sword of Gryffindor, shows you that Harry is a Horcrux, because the necklace automatically falls. It's one of those things where it's a little glimmer of hope, but it's such a it's such a fragile one. It's literally just a glimmer of the sword in the lake. Um I always feel conflicted about Ron's return as far as the Ball of Light story in that, on the one hand, it's effective from Harry's point of view to have Ron's return be a complete surprise, that we don't get any sort of build-up to that. We don't know when that's going to happen. On the other hand, I thought in the book, and I still think in the movie, that the Ball of Light story is super awkward. Uh, if you're not shown any of it, I really would have liked to see even, like, a single aside of Ron in the bar uh, start. Not even the full Ball of Light story, just the start of it would have been nice. Because as is, it's, I don't know, it's awkward when spoken. I actually completely disagree with that. I think I think it's a beautiful scene because of what j- just Rupert Grint's, like, how how much he commits to to that monologue and and just I actually think it's more effective. Like and I'm I'm usually the guy that's like, look, it's a movie, it's a visual medium. Show show us, don't tell us. But this is one of those rare cases where I actually feel the opposite. I think having Ron tell us this the way that yeah. he tells it, it to us, I think it's more effective than if we had seen it. I honestly I feel that way. This movie is about storytelling. This movie itself is about storytelling. We get stories from all three of the main characters, you know, Beetle DeBard from from Hermione later. But I think that Ron telling is is much more effective because we get to hear it in his own words. I do like that later that uh, Ron is trying to get into Hermione's good graces and Hermione wants to go <laughs> to see Xenophilius. <laughs> and and Harry's like, no, no, they're going to expect it. No. And Ron's just like, I, 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 I agree with I yeah. well, I just, I also just love how uh, Ron's like, "Oh, yo, do you think she's still mad at me?" And Harry's like, "Well, why don't you keep yes. telling her that ball light the chest story and see if that." Yeah. <laughs> and then in the end, in the end, when Hermione walks away, Ron looks at Ron looks at Harry, and it's that look of "Sorry, mate, I I have to agree with her from now Sorry, on." <laughs> <laughs> 
You have no idea how thin the ice I'm on is. <laughs> I do also really like the uh, the locket scene. It's just, first of yes. all, kind of a horrifying thing. And I also love the horror of it being, it's like, yeah, no, it gets into your head. It goes right after the deepest yeah. insecurities you could possibly find. Um, I also kind of find it hilarious how you have the uh, weirdly more perfect than perfect versions of uh, Hermione and Harry. Also, one side note that I find super weird about this movie, especially this scene, really, or this sequence kind of brought it home to me, is that for some reason, uh, Deanna Radcliffe looks older in this film than he does now. Several years later. <laughs> I don't know why, yeah. but... Uh, okay. It's a weird thing. I don't know why. I don't know okay. why. <laughs> if you say so. I don't know if I feel that way, but... <laughs> I love that I love that Ron's fears had to be... Was revealed in front of Harry. It, it makes that vulnerable look. I love... I don't know. I, I like that the Horcrux fights back, but I like that his fears are thrown in front of his friends. I like that Ron is the one that destroys it. I think that Ron, yes. kinda, yeah. I think that the locket kind of affected Ron more than anybody else, and he needed to kind of overcome that for himself. I agree. What about when they do go see Xenophilia's Love Good, which leads into one of the coolest sequences in the movie, which is the uh, animated uh, Deathly Hallows uh, story, which oh is just... Oh my god, yes. It's so unexpected in the movie, because like it's so not the like visual style yeah. that you would expect from a Harry Potter movie, but it works so yeah. well. I love how disheveled Xenophilius is. Yes, Reese Fins, yeah. Yeah, you automatically know something's going on. My favorite role for him is uh, in, in Notting Hill. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's, like, he's like wearing this, uh, this t-shirt that says, get it here with the arrow pointing downwards. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just want that shirt ever since I saw that movie. <laughs> he's an amazing actor. Yeah, I just have very little say about it other than just deep praise for the, you know, animation. It's just a cool sequence. Um, Reezy Fon's acting as well. It's also just cool to get uh, that little insight into the Love Goods home. The one thing I really did miss from the book, because it is such a weird, beautiful little moment of world building, um, and is there's a brief moment when Harry steps into Luna's bedroom and he looks up at the ceiling and he sees this mural of himself and Neville and Hermione, Ron, and uh, Ginny and just uh, surrounded by the word friends. And it's just like a, such a sweet blink-and-you-miss-it moment, but it's like, okay, that's another nice insight into who Luna is as a person, what she thinks of everybody. And... Obviously, this movie, it, I completely understand why it's not there. It's not super important. I almost feel like it would have been nice just as like a brief two-second shot in this scene, but I get why it's not there. I, I understand that as well. Of course, you know, Harry's been wanting to get into Luna's bedroom for a long time. Oh, okay. <laughs> he looks up with just a mural of, like, just him and Luna. This is lovers. <laughs> it's like, oh, oh. oh. <laughs> it's, it's fun. It's fun. This whole sequence is fun. I love the storytelling. I love, the, I love that this scene is all about symbology. And they make this scene... A symbol of the movie, the tower in uh, in Tarot. If you want revolution, the tower 
is all about revolution because it breaks. It, it is destroyed. And I love this scene because they find out about the Deathly Hollows, and that breaks everything. And at the end of the scene, the tower is destroyed. So it it really it's really good storytelling through imagery. It's like you know, almost almost like two hours into the movie, we're wondering why is this movie called Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows? What the hell is that? It's like, oh, here it is. Super late in the movie, we're gonna explain this to you now. It's like, okay, <laughs> now you can see the title <laughs> exactly. They said it. They told a whole story about it. It really is. I, I know I already, I've just got to reiterate one more time. It really, just the animated sequence really is one of my favorite parts of the movie. It the, is. Fact, the fact that they, they decided to tell the story in that way for the movie of doing as, as this animated sequence was just such a cool and creative choice. Yes. All right. Let's go into our climax, the Malfoy Manor sequence. Harry's face gets all messed up. Draco knows it's him, but he doesn't say anything. It's a, a little bit of a uh, another hint that uh, Draco is is a, a, a more redeemable character than perhaps we uh, may have thought at first. And then Dobby comes and saves the day, and then tears. Any thoughts on this whole sequence? <laughs> oh yeah, I love that uh, we see more of Draco. I love that we see this defiant part of him. Because you know he knows it's Harry. You know he knows it. But he's done with this shit. He is just done. Now, he keeps up the appearances and he fights because he's still jealous of Harry. No matter what, he's still jealous of Harry. But I love that he just doesn't have the fight in him. He's seen what Voldemort does to people that are loyal to him. Why would you want to work for someone like that? He's seen his, he's seen his father and mother just completely broken. Poor Lucius. I, I say poor Lucius in a facetious way because that son of a bitch had it coming. <laughs> <laughs> you do start to pity him more in this movie, though. You, you see, you see how broken he is, and that he's just yeah. tired. He's just tired of being a Nazi. <laughs> I feel like yeah. it is weirdly cathartic to see someone who is just like such a vile slimeball of a man. You know, Humble, absolutely yes. worst of the worst get everything that he said he wanted and he's turned out terribly for him. Mm -hmm. And I love seeing Draco, yeah, realize it's like, oh, wow, I've really hitched my wagon to the wrong horse here. This is... Also, it's a good sequence to have uh, Helena Bonham Carter showcase again just how goddamn insane and frankly evil Bellatrix is. That shit. Yeah, it's like, all right, you have a wand that can be used to torture people. She'd prefer to use a knife. <laughs> yeah, I like that even at this point, though, that the Malfoys are being broken down because they allowed one of Voldemort's Horcruxes to be destroyed. It's it's that point. Voldemort is really pissed about that, and they have no idea. They think this moron is just shitty to us because we failed one time. They have no idea what they actually had. They had no idea it was a Horcrux. For sure. And then I, I love when uh, Dobby comes in. A, just the, uh, the, the the casualness of like, wait, you can apparate in and out of here? He's like, hey, I'm an elf. And then, yes, yeah. him doing the cartoon thing of just <laughs> dropping the chandelier on on Bellatrix. It's like they just look up like, nobody, nobody even knows what to do. Everyone's just like, what? <laughs> uh, am I, see am I seeing this right? I meant to kill just 
injure or severely maimed. Yeah. <laughs> or maimed or severely injured. God damn yeah. it. I also love that, that moment uh, when they're doing the jailbreak and, you know, he knocks out uh, Wormtail and he's just standing at the stairs like, Why does everyone want this? <laughs> yeah, I, I love wand. that he gets to shine here. Yeah, I love that he gets to shine. How dare you take a witch's wand? <laughs> it would have been nice to have the to have the elf slave the slave elves or whatever <laughs> the house elves slave thing in this whole goddamn franchise. Well, I'm just saying. If they were gonna do it, they would have had to have done it by now. By this movie, it was too late. Way, I, feel. It, it I know, too way late. before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, back when I was complaining in the Goblet of Fire about it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it it does kind of wrinkle me in this movie that they just don't like. Even in the book, it was addressed a little better, but they don't address at all the slave thing. Like when they find creatures, just like. All right, we found and threatened him, and we're going to force him, because he is a slave that works for this house, to go and kidnap a man. And we're not going to focus on the ethical ramifications of this at all, or maybe offer to free creature even, or feel bad about it. And I'm like, I I think that something should have been... They should have spent like a minute talking about that. The way it's framed in the movie is them all being like, oh, Creature's such a little shit. He's, you know, being racist towards Hermione. So, like, fuck you. You do what we say. But I also agree that, like, it may- maybe, you know, address- addressing the whole slave thing would would have yeah. would have been something. Like, again, I... I- I don't miss the subplot for myself, but I but I understand why a, a lot of people feel that it should have been in there at the same time. Harry giving Creature a sock in the end would have been a really good ending. It would have been a really good touch. Or even just the locket, like he did in the book, which I'm not yeah. sure whether or not Creature ever acknowledged that as clothing. I mean, it's debatable whether or not it is jewelry. Here, I want to free it, but I still don't like it. Here's my s- smelly jock strap. So you're free, but fuck you and stop being racist is basically what I'm saying. Uh, yes, yes. Exactly. <laughs> what do we think about Dobby's death? Because this is another kind of tearjerker, and like I kind of had a feeling when I when I knew that they were splitting this book into two movies, I kind of had a feeling this is probably where they were going to end the first part was with Dobby's yeah. death, and 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 they they did actually cut it where I where I kind of suspected they would. Um, I do yeah. think it's I do think it's an effective and affecting uh, way to end the movie, you know. But partly because like the Malfoy Matter sequence is an exciting enough sequence to be the climax for this first part, and then yeah. having having them bury Dobby as kind of a de- kind of a denouement, I think is is very uh, mm-hmm. it's a sobering way to end it. And it kind of goes into that the, the the horrors of war part of it. It's a good metaphor of laying things to rest. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, it's a lull, it's a time to, to think about where you're at. Two movies in a row end in a funeral. But I think that, I think that it makes sense. I think you're absolutely right, Sam. Uh, it's the perfect place to end it and, uh, begin with, uh, recharging and then going to war because now they know what the, now they know where their war is. Um, I'm a little upset that Dumbledore didn't leave more information i think that dumbledore should have left more information he left hints but he didn't leave the information and i i just think that maybe he shouldn't have spelled it out but there should have been something 
I think that he he was worried about the information falling into the wrong hands, and he wanted to give yeah. them yeah. just enough of a hint that they could figure it out, and they ultimately did. But yeah, yeah, it's also one of Dumbledore's greatest character flaws, which it is. He plays everything way, way too close to the chest. Yep. And that is his downfall is several times. Like, if he'd not tried to put on the ring himself and, you know, curse, get curse in his hand, if he'd thought about it, if he'd not put everything on him and his incredibly tiny circle, yeah, much of this could probably have been avoided. But that is a character flaw of him. It's something, it's... Something that you can legitimately be angry at the character for because exactly. that's a problem is yeah. if he'd been more trusting. Well, I like the fact that Ron points that out several times in this movie is this uh, yeah. like, look, doesn't it bother you that he did give us a little more to go on here? You know? Yeah, I like that he points it out. But yeah, I, I really do like that. There's also a shot coming back to the Dobby scene. There's just one shot that I keep coming back to where... They're all standing together, and then you see Dobby on the beach just standing there, starting to hunch over a little, and he's just so, so small in the shot. Yeah. Um, which, I don't know, I keep coming back to that. It's it's very affecting. For me, it's, it's when Do- the Dobby's body is wrapped up in, in, in the blanket, and then they like, like you see just how, how like, it, 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 the image looks almost like they're burying a child, and I, I think yeah. that that was a little bit on purpose, too. It was. I love that he's the hero of the movie. I love that he's the hero of the movie. I do. No yeah. matter how small he was. Um, mm-hmm. But it's, it's definitely... Uh, adds to the uh, sad factor of the movie, the the losing in. This movie is set up as a horror. It really is filmed as a horror, and then it ends in such a sad way. There's not a lot of hope. You have hope that now they know which direction they're going, but you've lost a you've lost a character that you've come to love throughout the whole series. You know, yeah, so, you lost some of the best people. Yeah. I think it's very well done, but I think ending it with with Dobby's death was genius in the same fact that, you know, we're going to come back and we're going to win this. Yeah, for sure. Well, let's go ahead and go into our overall thoughts and our score of 1 out of 10. Liz, why don't you start? The Deathly Hallows Part 1 is a great uh, build towards the end. I often wonder if they really did need to split up the books into one movie. And, and of course they did. Of course they did. Uh, the books in the two movies. And of course they did. But I don't know. Uh, there's just a lot that they had to go and recover in this movie. And a lot that they had to let go of in this movie. For me, it's filmed like a psychological horror more than anything. I enjoy seeing these characters get a lot of payoff after they've built for years and years and years on these characters. Uh, Rupert Grant really shines in it. And uh, it's always the comedian that can break your heart. Ending with the death of Dobby is just so heartbreaking. Um, And then, of course, Voldemort gets his wand in the end. Uh, So, you know, all of that hope is kind of, you're, you're on the edge of your seat and you're kind of losing hope and you're hoping, come on, come on, where, where are we going with this if you haven't read the books? I, I think it's very, I think it's masterfully crafted. It's 
got a very different voice than all of the other Harry Potter movies. A very different voice, but it still feels like Harry Potter. It's not so different that it doesn't feel like a Harry Potter. It just feels like a Harry Potter horror movie. With this movie, I have to give it an 8 out of 10, mostly because it entertains me. But this is not one of my go-to. It's not. It's not something that I sit through without looking away every once in a while. Yeah, this. It's a really well done movie. Um, there are some of the best character performances. There's certainly some of the best uh, direction, especially in terms of, as you've mentioned, those masterful landscape shots. This, what issues I have with the film are kind of the same issues I had with the book. Um, just some, you know, character writing. Some moments not you know, entirely making sense to have in a certain way. Um, one thing I found interesting as a change was that there are actually two villain deaths uh, that did not occur in the movie uh, that occurred in the books. Both Wormtongue and Grindelwald are actually still alive at the end of the film, which, again, was very much not the case in the book. Um, so who knows if they were trying to open something up for that or if they just wanted to help make the main characters feel a little more innocent. But... I think that it does very effectively evoke and capture that feeling of the horror of living in a war, of moving through it, of losing all the trappings of your former life, of marching through the wasteland of your country, of your childhood. That's captured extremely well in this film. Um, And again, has fantastic performances especially from uh, Dan Radcliffe and Rupert Grint. As you mentioned, this Sam, this is Rupert Grint's finest, best performance in the series. Honestly, um, this is the movie where Ron shines. Kind of for a similar reason um, that this is a really well-made movie, but it is very hard to take. And especially with it being one half of the story, there's no, there's no catharsis. It is... Just continuing on. And in some ways, this is why I feel like the score should probably be together for both the first and second part. Because they are, obviously, it says part one and part two, but very much so, it's parts of the same story. And you're not going to get the full effect of the story with just watching one part. Um, with that said, I am also going to give it an 8 out of 10 because it's really well done. But this is not something I'll just decide to sit down and uh, watch casually. Wow, Okay. I had mentioned when we did Prisoner of Azkaban that I generally think of Prisoner of Azkaban as being my favorite of these movies. This one, if it's not tied or sometimes even slightly ahead of it, it's it's just like barely just there kind of behind it or with it. I think this movie is fucking amazing. I think it is absolutely one of the best, best of this entire series. Sometimes I genuinely do think it's my favorite of these movies. And I, I actually do... I guess I can see what you're saying about um, how it's it is part one of a story, but like it is definitely a part one and part two situation. But I still think that this movie does work as its own thing. It is very dark, but I actually really like how dark it is. I I like that it really goes for that, and I and I I really appreciate this movie. But I get I just get swept up in the filmmaking of it, the cinematography, the gorgeous landscapes, the performances by the characters. This movie is really just a it's 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 all about the trio. It's all about exploring the characterizations of the trio. And I think that just really going for just being purely a character driven movie more than it is anything else. 
I think that's why I love. That's why I eat up. That's that's why why I love so much about this movie. And I I I actually have zero issues with this movie. I think it's perfect, and I think it's a ten out of ten. It is absolutely one of my favorites of this movie. And I don't know, maybe maybe it says something about me, but I really can't just go sit and watch this movie anytime. Like I it it I I really like I. <laughs> It is very dark, but I, I honestly enjoy the darkness of it. I like that it's a slow burn. I just, I, I get swept up in, you know, the emotion of it, the filmmaking of it, and the performances. And I, I honestly think this is absolute peak Harry Potter. And it's honestly just one of my favorite movies in general. And I do, and, and it does lead into part two, but I do think that they split it up really wisely where I do think that the movie still stands on its own. It is more of a tragic film, but it does stand on its own for me while also leading into the second part. So, yeah. Yeah, I, it's absolutely a 10 out of 10 for me personally. Having said all of that, Zach, where can the folks find you? Folks can find me on Facebook as Zachariah Schneider. They can find me on both Instagram and the Twitters as Zachariah Schnett for Zachariah S-C-H-N-E-4. Liz, where can the folks find you? Uh, you can find me uh, in most places under Liz Tory, L-Y-Z. T-O-R-Y. I'm usually the only one spelling it that way because I'm extra. Hashtag extra AF. <laughs> I'm Sam Wilson. You can follow me on Instagram or Twitter at SC Wilson underscore actor. You can follow my band Gas Station Boner Pills at the Band of Boners on Instagram. You can also find us on Spotify or anywhere you listen to your music just under Gas Station Boner Pills. And you can follow Nerd Shit at the Nerd Shit Pod on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. We are now on all of those social medias as well. So if you follow us on TikTok, we, we do post like little clip outs of our uh, podcasts on there and uh, we're probably going to start doing some exclusive content on there like maybe just some little short form stuff as well so please give give our tiktok a follow and uh yeah follow us on any of the social medias that that you've got and make sure that you're subscribed to us anywhere you listen to your podcasts leave us a review leave us a star rating spread the word tell your friends if you enjoy what you're hearing up next, we are going to go ahead and review Harry Potter and Deadly Hallows Part 2. We go ahead and uh, finish out this particular franchise just back-to-back, just get it knocked out. So if you're a Potter fan, again, make sure you're subscribed so that you can listen to our Part 2 of the uh, Part 1 and Part 2 reviews for the, this this kind of last chapter in the Harry Potter saga. For Zack Schneider and Liz Tory, I'm Sam Wilson. Thank you for joining us for Nerd Shit. Nerd Shit. Nerd Shit. Stay shitty, nerds. Nerd shit, nerd shit. So strap on in, girls, we're talking about the nerd shit.